Think about a time you've come across someone who possesses something special. Imagine taking ordinary topics and viewing them through their lens. Welcome to Success Shorts, insights that challenge us to be extraordinary. Let's go. I'm Aurel Chanel, and today we're joined by Alex Carter. Alex is a Columbia Law School professor who specializes in mediation and negotiation. She's also the best-selling author of Ask for More, 10 Questions to Negotiate Anything, which is a book that I think most of us could have or will benefit from using at some point in our lives. Alex, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. So first off, congratulations on the success of the book. I know this is an interesting time to be launching a book. This is definitely a topic that I know a lot of people are going to benefit from hearing about today. But before we dive into things, I'd really love to just get to know you a little bit deeper. And this has been a period of reflection for many people. So would you mind telling us something that you've learned about yourself recently? Yeah, and thank you for that you know, invitation. It has been you know, a challenging time for me as it has been for many others. I've had a loved one sick with COVID. I've been, you know, really working to try to figure out how to market a book and connect with people in the midst of really a lot of pain and and difficulty for many. And I think one thing I've learned about myself is I'm more resilient than I thought. And maybe even that resilience looks different than what I thought it did before this. I I always thought that resilience meant that somebody almost effortlessly just got knocked down and kept getting back up. And I think what I've learned during this time period is that resilience, you know, doesn't have to be pretty. There have been moments where I felt great despair at possibly losing a loved one or having all sorts of supply chain issues with the book and how that would affect things. I learned that resilience means that even if it's tough and messy, you can get back up again and figure out how to serve people, even in a pandemic. I'd say that's a pretty wonderful thing to learn about yourself. And a lot of things when it comes to resilience is the flexibility that we all have that maybe we didn't realize that we had to adapt to everything that can be thrown at you. So we're going to be spending the next few minutes together getting to know you a little bit more and also kind of tapping into your skill set towards the end. And I'm really looking forward to that. But the way I'd like to start off is like, if we were to ask someone close to you, what makes you successful? What do you think they would say about you? I think they would say that I see them. I've thought a lot about what it means to be a mediator and a teacher. And really what I think I do whether it's people who come to me in conflict in mediation, whether it's a student who's coming to me learning how to find their voice in the world, all I do is I hold up a mirror to them and I show them what I see. And when they see themselves more wholly and more compassionately than perhaps they have before, it's transformative. I find that they go out then and they are empowered to solve their conflicts to step into the mediator chair as a student and provide service to other people. And they really step forth into their calling. So when people ask me, you know, what's your superpower, Alex? I like to say, 
my superpower is helping you find yours. Is there a better superpower than that? Wow. So your position there is to really help people along their journey and to maybe point out those blind spots or just kind of help them along to be the best version of themselves. Now, at some point, you had to realize that this was important to you. When do you think you began to realize the importance of helping others see themselves? And how did you nurture that early on? You know, it's so funny. If you look back at your life, you know, I think you can see seeds and threads that later come to full germination. I can recall back in high school that my favorite after-school activity was speech and debate. I competed in original oratory as a high school student. But the thing I remembered loving most was not winning my own trophies, but was working with a woman who struggled with confidence, speaking in front of other people, and seeing promise in her and coaching her. It's amazing. I'm getting choked up. The moment she got the trophy is the moment I remember most from high school. I knew that deep down I felt like a coach. I felt like somebody who wanted to help others transform and step into their greatness. But I didn't know what form that would take until my last year of law school when just on the advice of a friend, I took the class I now teach at Columbia called the Mediation Clinic. And I got trained in these skills and sat down in front of two people who were in conflict and I remember thinking with perfect clarity, this is it. This is what I should be doing for the rest of my life. And I have to figure out a way to make that possible. Are you a happy person? Because I don't see how you couldn't be doing that type of work. <laughs> you know, it's a complicated question. Remember, I, I <laughs> talked about at the beginning, you know, it, what does resilience look like? I'll say this. I wake up every day feeling as though I'm doing exactly what I was meant to be doing on this earth. And that is a profound source of happiness. As a person, I can sometimes tend toward the pessimistic internally for myself. I struggle, like a lot of people do, with fear, with anxiety that I manage. But the work, the service, is one of the most profound blessings in my life. And that is what gets me out of bed every morning. Just, you know, so happy to be doing this work. So I had a chance to speak with a couple folks around the concept of happiness. And what you were saying as I was listening to that, it just really resonated with me that, you know, this is someone who is adding extreme value and really focusing on those areas that are your strengths when it comes to your work. And I mean, it's almost impossible to think about when it comes to that element of your life, how you don't feel like you're thriving. Like That's a really special thing. So I'd like to focus on that a little bit is, you know, where you're at now. You know, recently you were awarded the presidential award for teaching at Columbia because obviously, I mean, your students are going to be getting the best version of you because you are so empowered and happy when it comes to what you're doing. At what point would you say, did you transition from just trying to pursue this career to really knowing that, you know what, you're stepping into your strength and how has that impacted how you've gotten to this point? Wow. I have to say, I've done a lot of podcast interviews. I'm not sure I've gotten this deep and it's really a gift to me to be sitting back and thinking about this. I will say this, as much as I work to pour into the lives of my students, they've done the same for me. And I 
can't believe this. I'm getting choked up again. A few years ago, this is a record. A student who had graduated asked me out for coffee, and I thought maybe she wanted career advice. And so we sat down at this coffee shop on the Upper West Side, and she said to me, Alex, you've really helped me in a profound way, and I'd like to help you. I'd like to know how I can help you achieve your calling. And if you could just imagine for a second what it feels like, this student's name is Kristen, by the way, what it feels like to have somebody ask you that question. And during that conversation, she asked me what my calling was. And I said, I feel called, whether it's in mediation or anywhere else, to hold up a mirror to people, to help them see themselves better, and then to open up a window between them and somebody else. And that sentence was the foundation of the book that was published last month. And so I would say it was actually in conversation with this student, Kristen, and her profound offer to help me think about my legacy and build that legacy that this all came to be. That's really <laughs> remarkable. And Kristen, if you're listening, thank you for doing that. What a wonderful thing to do where you take someone else's superpower and you apply it to them. That's something else. I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't try to tap into that wonderful brain that you have and help set up expectations and just do a little bit of educating around, unfortunately, a very common experience for many people. So the only time most people will experience mediation, unless they are in the business world and maybe a little bit higher up in that space, is when they get divorced. And about a year and a half ago, I was going through mediation with my ex-wife, and it was not a great experience for me. And I don't think it was a great experience for Christine. And I think it made us take a step back because that experience was so contentious. You think about that period, emotions are extremely high. You're talking about the grief of losing a marriage, in our case, a very long one. And then you add in the financial component where we're dividing assets and we're talking about parenting plans and all this craziness. So all this stuff is swirling through these two people who still love each other in some way, yet the worst part is being brought out because of ineffective mediation. What do you think some of the expectations should be for the two participants. And also, what does effective mediation look like in that kind of powder keg environment? Yeah, good question. And first of all, I'm sorry that you experienced that. I think both the underlying divorce, which is really traumatic for the people involved, but also then, you know, a mediation process that didn't make that better. I think there are lots of different ways that mediators can work. So let me tell you a bit about what I do and what I would do in this scenario. Remember that mediation is the conversation where a third party who's not part of the conflict comes in to help two or more people negotiate better or more successfully. And although I'm a lawyer, I don't come in assuming that all we're talking about is the legal complaint far from it. I would say my first step would be to speak to each one of you individually at length to gain your trust, to talk a bit about what's important to you, not just for tangible things, but what kind of atmosphere you'd like to create in the room. What are the things that make you really upset to hear? What are the things that would be healing for you to hear? And really to spend that time listening. Once I get everybody together in the room, 
here's what I don't do and what I do. A mediator is not like an arbitrator in that I don't go in and I say, here's what I've decided you're going to do about your case. But that doesn't mean the mediator isn't active. In fact, a lot of the tools that I teach in Ask for More for effective negotiation are the ones that I use as a mediator. I ask a lot of open questions. I do a lot of summarizing for the parties in a way that brings them further together rather than apart. And I'm very active in managing the communication flow. My goal is, first of all, to really actively listen to the people in the room because probably you were unable to hear your ex-wife because you didn't feel listened to by the mediator in the first instance. And so if you feel listened to and heard by the person at the front of the room, it's easier than to hear the person across the table. Definitely. So that's, you know, the foundational work that I do. And I'm not focused on the agreement because the agreement is just the symptom of resolution. It's not the cause of the resolution. And if I focus on the listening and the communication, the agreement will follow. What I would give to have had you as our mediator. There's something you're speaking about when it comes to mediation there. However, there's also just something when it comes to human communication. When you strip everything away, our emotional selves just want to be heard. And if that environment can be created where you both feel seen and you both feel heard and a common goal, whatever it may be, the children's happiness or, you know, equitable resolution or whatever it may be that's agreed upon, then all of a sudden that can really become the focus as opposed mm -hmm. to just that constant back and forth of, I don't feel like I'm being heard, so I have to make sure I make myself louder and louder and louder to the point where, yep. you know, it just kind of devolves. And I'm going to take this in a, just a slightly different direction for one quick mm -hmm. moment. I think we're seeing that right now. So today is June 2nd when we're recording this and it's blackout day. And that's because there's a massive part of our population that hasn't felt heard or seen for, Jesus, hundreds of years. And it's coming to a boil and voices are being elevated because even in moments where it should be, it should be so easy to come together and realize, you know what, this is an injustice. There's still those other people that just want to be heard too, that are shouting over each other and it needs to stop. There needs to be effective mediation. And I think that's where different forms of leadership come in. I'm not going to go too political on anything right now, but let's just sit here and realize for a minute that there is a big part of our brothers and sisters out there that just want to be heard. So maybe we should just kind of shut up and listen and let's practice some active listening. Let's hear what they're actually saying, because the deliverable that they're asking for is actually not all that hard. If we just slow down and think about what they are asking for, it's not the actions, it's not the violence that's going on. It's just a simple modicum of human decency to recognize that, you know what, we're all in this together and let's just work towards a better space. So for those that are listening, they're listening to you and I go back and forth about this topic of being seen and heard. What can we do starting today to show up better for each other and allow each other to be seen and heard more effectively? Yeah, great question. I so appreciate this conversation because I think this is not the time for us to have the maybe the conversation we had planned on having, you know, weeks ago. Um, I've been reflecting on this a lot. You know, Ask for More is about a set of tools that people can use to have better conversations on any topic. 
And what it consists of is open questions. When you think about the different types of questions we ask people in our lives, or even the questions we ask ourselves, most of the time we're asking really closed or leading questions that really don't allow us to get to know the other person as they are. They're designed for us to control the conversation rather than being open to hearing another perspective. And one of the questions I've been reflecting on is the first question in the book. The first question in the book that we have to ask ourselves before any conversation is, what's the problem I want to solve? Because any negotiation starts with how we define the problem. And in the book, I talk about, you know, a large societal problem, the problem of chronic absence from school and about how this problem used to be defined punitively as truancy. And when you focus on truancy as the problem definition, then quote-unquote solutions were pretty punitive. You know, it's like, how can we punish people for having unexcused absences? But when policy workers changed the definition to say, no, we're just going to look at absence for any reason, whether it's excused or not, that led them to a totally different research method and different solutions. And one of the problems they found was that sometimes students had excused absences, not because the parents didn't want them to learn or the children wanted to get out of class, but because their clothes weren't clean and they didn't have a way to clean those clothes at home. And so once that problem came to light, some schools uh, worked with companies to install clothes washing facilities so that people could come in and they could have a discreet way to wash their clothes. And wow. with that, you know, as one of the solutions, the numbers jumped, the numbers of students who were attending school. And I think about what's happening right now, you know, blackout day. And I can recall some well-meaning white law professors discussing the problem last week and saying, well, maybe what we should be looking at is what is the officer who murdered George Floyd going to get charged with? thinking about how we could, you know, make that um, severe and to send a message. And how Black law professors said, you know, that is not the right problem definition. I think sometimes we as white people tend to define racial problems in the particular. This is a bad cop or this is a particular person or a situation. And I think what a lot of our Black brothers and sisters are saying right now is to step back and look at the system, to look overall you know, at it's not just about one officer. This is about how I'm going to keep myself and my children safe. And so the first step to any conversation is really thinking about what the other person thinks the problem is and sincerely listening to them. I like the way that you frame that. It's really about getting to the root cause and understanding what is the real driver for this issue. And as well-intentioned as the white professors were, perhaps they just didn't necessarily have the experience necessary to see that. And I think that's where being open-minded and actively listening and trying to expose ourselves to as many perspectives as possible, and then synthesizing what you just learned, then you can start to figure out what that root cause is, as opposed to just approaching it from our own biases or whatever they may be, and labeling it as, oh, it's just this because that's hardly ever the case, because everyone is different. When we try to apply our own understanding of a situation onto someone else, 
I think that's really where a lot of miscommunication begins to happen and things break down very quickly. Alex, thank you so much for your time today. It really means a lot. I've absolutely enjoyed it. I think it's it's been a gift to me to have this moment of reflection and deep conversation, even at a distance. So thank you for having me. Well, I'm glad I could provide it for you. And that's all we have for this episode of Success Shorts. Hopefully you found today's topic useful. And remember, have fun, stay curious, and keep it short. <laughs>